Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to the book of Psalms. Psalm 34 and verse 5. Psalm 34 and verse 5. They looked unto him and were lightened. And their faces were not ashamed. Psalm 34 and verse 5, and it is specifically the first clause, they looked unto him. We are told in this psalm, or over the top of the psalm, that it is a psalm of David, and the circumstances of which it was written. It was when David was fleeing from Saul. He went to Abimelech, went to the priests. He was given victuals. He was given the sword of Goliath. And amazingly, he with that sword went over to Gath and to Achish, the king of Gath. And there was immediately recognised and the king's servant said, Is not this David of whom they sang in their songs that Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? And David was exceedingly fearful, fearful for his life and rightly so. He fled from Saul in his own country now he was with the Philistines and now his life was in danger again. And no doubt as set forth in this psalm, he cried out unto the Lord. We read in verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. He also feigned himself to be mad, let his spittle fall upon his beard and Achish said, Why have you brought him to me? What need have I of mad men? And he escaped from his hand and went into the cave at Ullam. So we are told of the circumstances here of which David had an answer to prayer. The Lord had appeared to him and he then is able to point others to where he looked and the help that he had had from personal experience. He also is able to think of others that looked as well and the effect that they had when they looked unto the Lord. We read together the prayer of Solomon, David's son, the dedication of the temple. And no doubt he knew this psalm. He certainly would have known the history of it. This psalm was, of course, sung as, as most of the psalms were, and you'll find them like the Psalm 33, and then this psalm, 22 verses. They are, each verse starts with a, a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and you see it many times through Scripture, multiples of it. And uh, we have that Psalm 119, various multiples of the eight, three, lots of eight. Uh, and then uh, the, even the Ecclesiastes use the same 
method of remembrance and no doubt Solomon then he knew uh, this psalm, this psalm that was pointing, pointing those that were in trouble, pointing to looking unto him and really we may say here looking unto the Lord Jesus Christ set forth in the types and in the shadows. And so Solomon in his prayer, that which we read again and again, he spoke in that prayer of those that were to be looking toward this place, looking toward the temple. We see in verse 30, the eight of what we read, what prayer and supplication soever be made by any man or by all thy people Israel, we shall know every man the plague of his own heart shall and spread forth his hands toward this house. Then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place. And we have again in, in verse 42, uh, when he shall come and pray toward this house. And it's repeated many times. And I've no doubt uh, Solomon had an eye to this psalm and an eye to uh, David's exhortation here. Come ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord and teach them where to look. We've sung of it in our middle hymn. We've sung it in our first hymn of looking, looking unto the Lord Jesus Christ. We have it in David here. We have it in Solomon's uh, dedication. Then the prophets take it up as well. If we think of Isaiah 45 and the beautiful way in which the invitation is set forth there. And in verse 22, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. And we have Hebrews 12 as well, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And the beautiful way that our Lord closes, Matthew and chapter 11, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. And so we have the direction in our text, a stating of what a people, a cloud of witnesses did. They looked unto him. I want to look three points this evening. Firstly, the person they looked unto, the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then secondly, those that looked unto him and will add to that the effect of what we have in the end of the verse and were lightened, their faces were not ashamed. They didn't just look and there was no effect and no help. There was help. And then lastly, the question, as we apply it to ourselves, do we, do we look unto him? 
But firstly, the person that is looked unto our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe this psalm is, as many of the psalms do, though they are spoken of the experience of David and the other psalmists, they are pointing to our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, they are speaking of him. In Psalm 22, of course, the well-known words of our Lord upon the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And all that is spoken in that psalm and in Psalm 69 and in this psalm, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And we read in Hebrews that he uh, cried and was heard in that he feared and that he then is that sympathising high priest to the house of God. The Lord was made poor voluntarily, willingly, humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The Lord bore David's sin, the sins of all of his people. If David here was fleeing from death at the hand of Saul and then looking at death at the hand of Achish, our Lord, as it were, would take on all of the death of his people, all that they were deserving of, and it all met upon him. It laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so the person that they're looking to is our Lord Jesus Christ. He it is that is set right through the scriptures. And our Lord emphasised that in the sermon on the way to Emmaus, in all the scriptures concerning himself. It would have been a most solemn thing that many of those that took part in the sacrifices, in the ceremonial law, only saw the sacrifice. They never saw what it really set forth. We can think of those especially that abused it, Eli's sons, those that uh, did not follow the pattern the Lord had given, that they did not really clearly see or understand how it was setting forth the Lord Jesus Christ. We think of Moses, and Moses, he spoke, with the Lord face to face, he knew the Lord. Our Lord says he testified of me. But in that second time when the Lord commanded him to speak unto the rock and it would bring forth water, Moses, his spirit was stirred by the people. Instead of speaking, then he smote it twice and he said, Must I bring water out of this rock, ye rebels? The water flowed out, but the type was marred. Christ is not smitten twice. The rock had already been smitten once, and now it only needed to be spoken to. And the Lord said, Because that thou didst not sanctify me before the congregation, thou shalt not go into the promised land. Thou shalt see it with thine eyes afar off, but thou shalt not go in hence and the Lord guards very much the 
types and the shadows that they be done in due order because there is this significance to them all. And the people of the Lord, they had to be very careful that that type was a true type and that it answered. And that's why right at the very beginning with with Cain and with Abel, the Lord did not have respect unto Cain's sacrifice. Cain was the fruit of the ground. It was of his work. It was not what was ordered by the Lord. It was not a blood sacrifice. With Abel's it was. There had been death. There had been bloodshed. There was a sacrifice. The Lord had respect to it. That was setting forth the sufferings and death, the bloodshedding of the Lord Jesus Christ. Cain's was not. And that's why they had to be looking back. And that's why we find with, with Abel, he's numbered amongst those of faith. He offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain because they were looking unto him. They had an eye unto the Lord. They looked unto him. There was one person, one that was to come, the seed of the woman that should bruise the serpent's head, Emmanuel, that's spoken of in, in Isaiah, God with us. They looked unto him that was promised from the beginning of the world. They looked unto him uh, that their hopes were placed upon, their faith was centred on, which was their hope of escaping the wrath to come, the hope of heaven, the hope of deliverance from sin. That is who they were looking at. There's no different way of salvation through Old Testament and New. All have been saved and all will be saved by looking to the same person and to the one same sacrifice and the same offering. And when we gather together in the house of God, the one that is lifted up on the pole of the gospel is Christ. We preach not ourselves, says the apostle, but Christ Jesus the Lord. When we have the transfiguration, they saw no man but Jesus only, not law, not prophets, but he that fulfilled the law and fulfilled the prophets. When we observe the Lord's Supper, we do so in remembrance of him. We do show forth his death till he come. We look past the bread and past the wine and we see what it sets forth. Christ's broken body and shed blood. And it is important that it is true of us, as true of them. The person that was looked to is a person, a real person, is our Lord, is our God, our Saviour, he that was from eternity with the Father, he that came and took upon him the form of a servant, made in likeness of men, who dwelt among us, who laid down his life a ransom, and who took it again, rose from the dead. We look to him, not to Mary, not to prophets, not to preachers, not to men, but to Christ alone, the God-man. And we look to him 
We look to him by faith. That is the object of faith. And it must be the same with us as what they look to as well. In Christ, in all the scriptures, that which is to be the one set before us in all the way, Paul says, let us run the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. In one sense, the gospel and the directions of the gospel are very, very simple. They're very, very direct. You think in a natural way, if someone is ill, then it's not one person that they are to look to. I know we look to the Lord for healing, but how many of us have known what it is to go from one specialist to another specialist? I mean, you get a good specialist, but that one deals with the heart and doesn't deal with the brain. And if you have a broken leg, it's no use to go into someone that is a specialist in their throat or something like that. And we're used to many different ways that we go and look for our help. But when it comes to our souls and really the one that blesses all of the efforts of man, we're looking to one, one person alone, looking unto the Lord. We are not to be deflected or turned aside to, to any, to see no man but Jesus only. So the person looked unto, the person set forth in this psalm, in his sufferings, his death, the only name given among men whereby we must be saved, the only one in which our help is to be found, our help is in the name of the Lord which made heaven and earth. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the word was God. There was nothing made that was made except by him. He is the creator. He is the former of all things. He is the saviour, the redeemer. It hath pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The person then that they looked to, they looked unto him, is our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I want to look then secondly at those that looked. They looked unto him. Who was David referring to here? We know, of course, and we briefly mentioned with Abel, we have in Hebrews 11 a long list of those that lived and died by faith. And we're told at the end of that long list, that cloud of witnesses, these all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. And what he means is that they were looking to the promised Saviour. They were looking to him that was to come. We are those that look back. We have seen he has come. We have the testimony of Scripture that he has come. But these they died in the belief that he would come. 
When Christ dies, we read that now is the accuser of the brethren cast down. And what was he accusing of those brethren that were in heaven? Why are you in heaven? No blood has been shed. Your debt has not been paid. How can you escape the wrath of hell? How can you be here? And the answer is because all the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. Because they're centred in God and not man, he is immutable, he is unchangeable. Hath he said and shall he not do it? They were there on the promise. We might promise to do something for someone, promise to pay something, and then when it comes time to pay it, we can't pay it. Well, if that was their grocery bill and they've eaten it all, what are we going to do? They've had the benefit, but it's not paid and we can't pay it. But with our Lord, nothing could prevent him from paying it. And at Calvary, we read again and again that the scriptures be fulfilled, this was done. And the scripture must be fulfilled. Remember our Lord in the garden, he, he, he said, thinkest, puttest thou thy sword up into its sheath. Uh, thinkest thou not that I could pray my father and he presently give me twelve legion of angels, 72,000 angels, but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? And all the time our Lord had a mind, those scriptures must be fulfilled. Promises must be kept. Things must be done that were said that they would be done. And those things were done by wicked hands of the Jews. They were done by the Romans. Pilate said to our Lord, Knowest thou not that I have power to release thee, power to crucify thee? And our Lord said to Pilate, Thou couldst have no power against me at all, except it were given thee from heaven. And Peter on the day of Pentecost, he said that our Lord was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God and by wicked hands crucified and slain. But salvation was of God. It wasn't wrought by the Jews or by uh, the, the, the Romans. They were in God's hand, though their wickedness was charged upon them. It was their wickedness. And so those that lived and died by faith, they were looking by faith to the coming Messiah. They were looking to Christ. They were looking to he uh, that should come and die for their sins and make atonement for their sins. And those several instances right through the Hebrews 11 speak of those acts of faith one of those that is spoken of is Abraham. He would have been amongst those they looked unto him. Our Lord clearly says that Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced at it. Going up the mountain, Isaac says, My father, the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And his father's Abraham's answer, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. He will be the lamb. He will provide it. Well, in that instance, he provided the ram caught by its horns so it wasn't marred. It was still spotless to be offered up in the stead of his son. But Abraham saw past that. And Paul, he says that the blessing upon Abraham was that in thee and in thy seed 
shall all nations be blessed. And he clarifies, he said, not seeds as of many, but of one, which is Christ. In thy seed, in Christ. So we have the beautiful line, don't we, in, in Matthew chapter 1. Generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations. And from David to the carrying away into Babylon, 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon and to Christ, 14 generations. And the promises, they were given to Abraham and there the blessing was upon him that first looked unto him. Is one of those spoken of in our text. But then we have others. We have David here in this psalm. He was numbered amongst those that looked unto him. And I believe there were many times, many times that he looked unto the Lord. Many times he saw through the types, through the shadows. One of those times would have been when his son died, when he'd committed adultery and murder. And... God said that because what he'd done had brought such a reproach on Israel, the son would die. And he prostrated himself before the, in the, before the Lord on the ground for seven days. Peradventure the child should live, but the child died. And he rose and he washed and he ate. And his servants couldn't understand why. He said, well... He shall not come to me, but I shall go to him. He had a very clear view that that child was saved with the Lord. And one thing is very clear, that child did not die to put away David's sin. He died as a chastisement for David. But I believe David looked past that and he knew that his greatest son would one day die for his sin. The promised seed, Christ would die because of that sin. David had clearly been told by Nathaniel when he said, I have sinned, the Lord hath also put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. And sin can only be put away where there is the shedding of blood, and David knew that. Without the shedding of blood, no remission. And so David would have seen Christ's day then, he would have looked unto him. He also, when he was told of Solomon's kingdom, and you know, David, he wanted to build this tabernacle and temple, the Lord said through Nathan that he shouldn't build it, but his son should, that should be born should build it. But he told him the manner of the kingdom. And really it's a manner that couldn't just belong to a man that shall die. But David, he sat before the Lord, that the Lord had told him of his house in a great while to come. And then he says this, is this the manner of man, O Lord God? And I believe there he is saying, is what you have told me of Solomon, greater than Solomon, is this the manner of Christ? Is this the manner of he that should come? And I believe these things that they, as it were, glimpses through the lattice of the word and through the types and the shadows to get a little glimpse of what the promised seed should be, who it should be, something of his kingdom, his glory, 
what his life should be. Really in the lives of David and Solomon you have a kingdom which was a kingdom of blood and then a kingdom of peace. And in the Lord Jesus Christ you have the two put together, Christ's sufferings, his blood, and then the peace for his people. The two things go together. So David, they looked unto him. We think also of Elijah. Israel had sinned against the Lord. They had gone after Baal. And the Lord sent three and a half years of famine. And he prepared the hearts of the children of Israel to listen to the Lord. They were brought up upon the mount. They had to offer a sacrifice. And the God that answered by fire, he was to be the God. Well, the Baal God couldn't answer at all. He was no God. Then Elijah drew near. And that altar was put in order, the twelve stones... Though the tribes then were separated, ten and the two, he put them all together, the twelve stones, and then put the wood in order, and the bullock upon it, and then prayed unto the Lord, that they might know that they, their hearts had been turned back again. Back again where? Back again looking from Baal to him. They looked unto him. And as Elijah prayed, that fire came from heaven. That must have been a fearful thing. Many of us would have seen lightning in the distance. Probably not many of us have seen it very close at hand. But to see fire coming down from heaven in such a way as to completely consume the whole sacrifice, the altar, the dust, the water, everything, it would have been a fearful sight. And yet the amazing thing was that fire, it didn't fall upon the idolaters. It didn't fall upon the prophets of Baal. It fell upon the altar. And then when the people saw it, and they said, the Lord, he is God, he is God, then they were willing themselves to put away Baal and to kill the prophets of Baal. They were willing to do that. And it is in that way that we look upon Christ. We see the wrath of God descending upon him. They shall look upon him whom they have pierced. And in looking upon him, the Lord makes us willing to deal with our sins, deal with our idolaters and deal with those blind leaders that would lead us into sin and in wickedness. It is looking unto him that that power and that help is given. And that's what... Elijah looked, the people looked, they looked, they saw the fire, they saw the uh, fire descending upon that altar. They shall look upon him whom they have pierced, and they did. So Elijah was one of those. Then we have Jonah. Jonah running away from the Lord. Why did Jonah run away from the Lord? We told in the fourth chapter why he did. Because he says, was not this my... A word in the my own country why I fled because Jonah knew that if God sent a minister if he sent the word to warn that he would give them repentance what give Assyria repentance give that uh, wicked cruel nation the enemies against Israel repentance Jonah did not want that 
What, and leave Israel without it? So he didn't want to go. You might say, where is there anything good news in the message that Jonah brought to Ninevites? In 40 days, the city would be destroyed. Where is the ray of hope in that? In the 40 days. Because there was time. Not time that they would change, but time that God would give them repentance. You think of the 40 days that the rain was on the earth in the days of the flood, 40 years in the wilderness, 40 days temptation of our Lord in the desert, 40 days from the Lord's rising from the dead to his ascension into heaven. All the time, 40 days of Goliath challenging Israel and then David comes and David delivers Israel. 40 is always a testing time. There's a time that is followed by by triumph, by deliverance, so often, again and again. And so it was with the Ninevites too. You know, every day the Lord gives us life. Every day he lengthens out our lives. It is a blessing and a blessing of hope. While there is life, there is hope. And if you come in despairing this evening, the Lord still gives you life, there is hope. Still pray, still watch, still cry to the Lord who lengthens out your days. Seek him while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. But Jonah, he runs away. But he doesn't get away. And the Lord follows him. And there is the storm. And there is the attempt to row and to get to land and to not do, as Jonah said, throw him into the sea. The mariners didn't want to do it, but they couldn't escape it. But Jonah is thrown into the sea and the Lord provides a fish to swallow up Jonah. The timing of that, the provision of that, the wonderful preservation of Jonah. As far as those mariners were concerned, he was dead. He's gone. And no doubt they reported to those of Nineveh that there was a prophet coming to them to prophesy to them, but they'd thrown him into the sea and he was dead. He wasn't coming anymore to them. But we read of Jonah in the whale's belly and how that he cries unto the Lord in his distress. He said, yet will I look again. Where? Toward thy holy temple. That's where he's looking again. And the Lord spake unto, he says, salvation is of the Lord. The Lord spake unto the fish and it vomited him out, not in the sea, but on the dry land. You think of the shock with the Ninevites that suddenly this preacher, instead of being dead, he was alive. You think of the time when they had crucified the Lord, he was dead, he was buried, finished, we've got rid of this deceiver. And then we have the apostles doing the same miracles and rising from the dead and healing and with great power preaching and thousands following him and thousands being converted and all done in the name of Jesus who was supposed to be dead. The Lord said that Jonah was a sign. No sign would be given but the sign of Jonas the prophet. I believe the Lord used it with an Ninevites. The Lord used it in the day of Pentecost when they were charged with the death of our Lord and the 
miracles that the apostles did in his name, how many were converted. Because they were looking not to the apostles. The apostles, they said, look not on us as though by some power that we are able to do these things. And they testified it was done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you might feel you're like Jonah, so in the dark, so cast out, you've been running away from the Lord, there's no hope at all yet, even with him. Probably remembering, remembering Solomon's prayer, looking again toward thy holy temple. Then we think of Daniel. And it's possible that in those times that Daniel opened his window, those three times a day towards Jerusalem, that the temple was still standing because there was 25 years from when the first captives went to Babylon and from when the temple was destroyed. And really it's 70 years from the time of the temples destroying to when it was built up again in 70 years. But it's also 70 years from when the first captives went out of Jerusalem and when the first ones went back because they came back and it was another 20 or 25 years before the temple was built. So the 70 years you could take from two ways, from when the captives first went and first came back or from when the temple was destroyed and when it was built again. And so when Daniel was praying toward Jerusalem, it may be in those first uh, 25 years that it was still standing. But even if it wasn't, even if it wasn't, he wasn't looking for that edifice, that building, but what it set forth. What it set forth, the Lord Jesus Christ. We think also of what the Lord said when that temple, that temple was destroyed and then when it was built again and the prophets came and they said the glory of this latter house should be greater than the former. And our Lord, the Lord said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. They said, well, how can you do that? This temple took 42 years in building the Lord spoke of his temple, of his body. He was the great antitype. And it was to him that Daniel would be looking. And the deliverances, the helps that Daniel had, he might feel to be in a far off land, separated from the people of God. But do we still look? Look to the Lord. Well, I want to ask that question in our last point, do we look unto him? They looked unto him. But do we look unto him? Are we like the people of God in that respect? Do we look to the same place? We see in a gospel day in a much clearer light than what they did. Not types and not shadows, but in the fulfilment of scripture and in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we have faith? Do we look in that past the ordinances, past even the preaching of the word to see the Lord Jesus Christ as set forth in the word? Do we regularly look toward him in our devotions, in our private devotions, 
And do we look for him as we gather together in the house of God? Where is he? Where is the Lord Jesus Christ? Where is he in the word? Where is he in the preaching? If I, if I be lifted up above the earth, will draw all men unto me. They looked unto him. We read here. And we're lightened. The effect with those that we've spoken of, it helped them, it strengthened them. The Lord appeared for them. They were not ashamed when they looked to him. And so it will be for us as well. In all our sin, in all our shame, in all that we may see of a hopeless case, to whom can we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Are there those special times? We've spoken of Jonah, we've spoken of David, those times that we are in affliction, that we are in danger, that we are in tribulation. The Lord says, In me ye shall have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The Lord uses those troubles and tribulations of his people to look unto him that was more marred than any man, that walked the path of tribulation. We are to consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest we be wearied and faint in our minds. Do we look unto him for life? We had it this morning. The life that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. No man can keep alive his own soul, but do we look to him for life? Look to him for repentance. Look for him for every blessing of a living soul, a hearing ear, a seeing eye, a feeling heart, a tender conscience, a teachable spirit. Do we look to him for it? Now it pleased him, the Father, that in him should all fullness dwell. There's not blessings for a sinner in any other than in the Lord. And we're not to be looking at the gifts, but the giver, and the giver is our Lord. Do we look to him for grace, grace to help in time of need? Do we look to him to appear for us in providence? When providence frowns, when we know not which way to turn and we need the Lord to appear, where is our eye? Is it upon man or is it upon the Lord? Is a question, isn't it? And how is our soul? How does our soul stand before God? Where are we looking for salvation? Is it in the finished work of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ? Is it in his precious blood that was shed at Calvary? Or is it looking somewhere else? May we be numbered amongst those that looked unto him and it be put in the present tense that are looking unto him. We're given this beautiful promise. They that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And when you see these signs happen, they come to pass, Look up for your redemption, draweth nigh. What a blessed anticipation that the Lord will come again and his dear people, they shall be caught up with him in the air. Or if it is in death, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, 
they may be also, may we be then looking unto him. Amen.